guys, welcome back to another episode of Control All Career. I'm your host, Jennifer Ong, and in this podcast, I interview people who have taken a leap of faith and pursued an alternative career path in Asia. Before I get started with today's episode, I'd just like to let you guys know that I have a career coaching program. So if you're feeling unhappy or unfulfilled at your corporate job and want to make a change and try to do something else, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at ongjennifer underscore or via LinkedIn. I'd love to see how I can help. And for those of you who maybe aren't so sure what you'd want to do, but all you know is you want to quit your job, I am sharing my free three-step framework to help you find your passion. It's a framework that's helped me and my clients figure out what their dream job is. Want it? Check out the show notes to today's episode. All right, let's get back into today's episode. Today is a continuation of my conversation with Lily. So if you missed part one, head on over to listen to that first. In the first part of the conversation, we covered how Lily started two businesses, one selling sneakers and her second one in education. And she did all of this before she even graduated university. After that, she spent a year living the digital nomad life while traveling across Europe and South America. So if you haven't checked out part one of the episode with Lily, highly, highly recommend you guys go and listen to that part first. In today's episode, part two, we continue the conversation on how she decided to go back into the corporate world, she now works at Stripe, and how she decided to start her side hustle in the NFT space as the co-founder of Wild Pixies NFT which is a social DAO that invests in women and diversity-led projects within NFT. All right, I'll hand over to Lily now to share the second part of her story. You kind of wanted to take a break from entrepreneurship, right? Kind of similar to what happened with the first business. You were just like, oh, I don't really have like a great idea. Like, you know, why not learn from someone else and do that for a bit? Was it the same for this time around at New Campus? Yeah, I mean, I also learned a lot at New Campus too. And, you know, we saw it through to them raising Series A. So that was great. And then I was kind of like, okay, now that there's a lot of remote work, I should probably start looking at jobs that will pay me a lot more (laughs) as well, because Mm -hmm. I can have that same amount of freedom. And I did want to experience working actually in tech and in a bigger environment. I wanted to work with even more people and people with very different experiences that I can use it as a toolbox to pull out in different situations. And I felt like, okay, I've done this kind of zero to one thing. I need to experience what it's like working in a bigger environment, but that still allows for flexibility and creativity. And that was a very hard thing to find. Mm. Yeah. And is that how you ended up at Stripe now? Yeah, so initially I got a job off at Apple and that was quite creative in the terms of designing programs that would teach people how to be more creative using Apple products. So it matched the kind of education design, learning design kind of experience matched with creativity, like with art and stuff, which very much ties in with my background. But the visa didn't end up working out. It was like high of COVID. And because I'm not Singaporean, they wanted to give certain roles back to locals, which I understand, except they it just took three months to get my visa rejection. So it was just like waiting for a long time, uncertain of whether this thing was going to work out or not. So that was the most stressful part. 
And then it got rejected. So then I was actually four months unemployed. And during this time, I just went back to doing a lot of art. I'm going to do art commissions, did kind of like an experiential dining event planning. And also I was trying to like publish a coloring in book. <laughs> so that was kind of a good four month break as well. And also during that period of time, that's when you got into the NFT space, right? Yeah. So because I was starting to post about my drawings and my art and asking people if they want to do commissions, a lot of people reached out to me to say, you should look into NFTs, even though no one knew what it was, but it just was such a buzzword. So in March or April, 2021, I initially minted my first NFT on OpenSea. It cost me like $200. And I was like, what? I was so shocked because I was like, I should have put up a better one because I had just drawn this opera house thing on the toilet in three minutes and put that up. (laughs) And then I didn't realize it would cost me so much money to put it up. Obviously no one bought it because I had no audience. I didn't know what was happening and I didn't know what tools people were using. I don't understand how people search for stuff. I only really got into it actually the week before I joined Stripe when my friend told me to buy a cool cat, which is this really popular collection. It's very expensive now, but I was like, okay, well, she tells me to buy, I'll buy it. And then I was kind of feeling like crap. Why am I the only one buying it? Made Dexter buy one, made like three other friends buy one too. And it was like $4,000 each. I'm sure those friends of yours are really thanking you for for making them do it. (laughs) Some people who held it is thanking me. Um, (laughs) But others who, we sold it. And I mean, we all made some money as well, but at the time, I thought, why did I just buy this cool cat for 1.5 ETH, which is $4,000? Now it was like went up to 11 or 12 or 13 ETH at some point. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of started dabbling in that space. And I know eventually you even started your very own Wow Pixies, which is a DAO. So how did that kind of go from just something that you were like, oh, yeah, let's just dabble and learn a little bit about this into going into the deep end and actually having your your own? Yeah, so starting my own one was also by accident. I feel like this is a common trend in this conversation. <laughs> Everything is not intentional. Just kind of like fell into things because I got so immersed in it. And I just started buying and selling and really understanding the NFT communities, Twitter, Discord, how people are innovating, using these collections to reward different things, to enable holders to have a lot of different variety of use cases. I just thought that was so interesting. And I started buying my first World of Women was my third collection I bought into. My second day in NFTs, I bought World of Women. And I just saw them over six months, like constantly executing. I saw um, Boss Beauties, which the founder, Lisa, had been doing her own business called My Social Canvas for 10 years has a very strong mission and vision. And before she even launched, she already had six artworks promised to be displayed on the New York Stock Exchange Art Hall. And you've seen her over six months, like have partnerships with Marvel, partnerships with Barbie, partnerships with Rolling, just crazy brands as well and constantly delivering. But they were just always so underpriced. So I just like bought up all these women-led projects that I felt like had really crazy founders. And at the time when Boss Beauties came out, I literally made 30 plus people buy Boss Beauties at 0.2, including our head of sales at 
right? And now it's like two to three ETH, but still extremely undervalued compared to the amount of work that they do compared to like other projects in the space. I just thought it was really frustrating. I was like, there's no way these won't succeed because they literally have the best connections and with real world brands, utility, and the founders are obviously there for the long term. They've already done this for 10 years, like as if they're not going to be here, you know, when the market's up or down in fluctuation. So I just held on. I suck at day trading anyway not my thing. And I get so sentimental about projects and just hold on to them. And they ended up 10, 20 Xing. And so I had met my co-founders for Wild Pixies in World of Women. It's not really a traditional NFT project sense, but it is a DAO. So what we try to do is that the money that we generate, a big portion of it, 80%, 75% goes back into the DAO funds, like a governance fund that the community owns. And We use that to invest in other projects. So really we're an amplifier of women-led projects, almost like a kind of, I don't like to say index fund, but because we like buy up all these different projects, then our community can get exposure to all of these projects before having to actually use up their money to buy into different ones. So it's a great learning experience for them. And also we are directly putting money in more women's hands. And supporting That's- more women projects as well, which I think is, yeah. is super awesome. I think the most interesting thing is like, I know that the NFT ch- space like changes so quickly, right? What made you decide to ultimately start your own project? The two co-founders asked me to join them. And I was like, sure. January was when we launched, January 14. And I had just come up with my theme of the year, which is less is more because I kept starting projects last year and not finishing them. Mm-hmm. And the day after I came up with this theme, one of the co-founders asked me, hey, do you want to join our team? And I was like, sure. <laughs> Out the this is the universe yeah, telling me less is more. Okay, we're just going to focus on this. <laughs> yeah, but now it is less is more because I literally have no time for anything else other than this and my job. That's it. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe tell us a little bit more about what it takes to run an NFT project. Like, I think people are like, oh, yeah, like, oh, isn't it just a JPEG that you're buying? Like, what really goes on behind the scenes? I think the space has changed so fast that honestly, sometimes I look back and I'm like, wow, the creative things that people do with it now is evolving on a daily basis. How I kind of look at NFTs is that there is so much flexibility. It's a tool that you can basically use to change up the way your business model can work and how money flows. Because an NFT basically is just like a token that is not replaceable on a blockchain. So it really can be anything that you want, but it just has ownership attached to it. Rather than Web2, where you just go and comment and you're more passive, this is where you are an active kind of player in contributing to a business or a company or a project. And realistic how this works is that the technology that makes NFTs work underlying is the programming on the blockchain, which is a smart contract. And with a smart contract, now you can see where each transaction goes. So before that was not traceable. Like if I sold you this good, you sold that person this good, how are you going to trace that in a way that is transparent to everybody? Now that's possible through the programming of smart contracts where they say, With each transaction, I can take, say, 10% royalties or 5%. So that's a lot of unrealized revenue that people couldn't have 
gained before that they now can gain. And how it kind of works as an NFT project is that typically right now, the most popular type is what we call a PFP profile picture, where people use it as almost like a social token, social status of belonging to a community. So you have 10,000 and each one has varying traits of a collection. After that, though, as you see, the communities evolve. They're all thinking about how can we engage more of the community to be participants in this project? How can I bring more value back to these people who are holding these tokens? Is it access into certain events, communities? Is education, like now if you hold a token, you get education rights. And so there's like so many different layers to it as a project owner. First of all, you now, you don't have to raise money from VCs. You just crowdsource, crowdfund from your consumers. And crowdfunding is not a novel idea, but now instead of just using your money to buy an item, you become an investor in that item. It really kind of changes the narrative for a lot of business, a lot of people who want to actually make ideas happen that were not sustainable previously. And I know that community is such a big part of this, right? Like you need to get people to buy into your project or your idea. Is that where a lot of the work comes from? How do you go about building that community first? In the past, you can build a lot of fans, a lot of community, but a lot of people are just um, consuming content and they're not that active because there's nothing to incentivize them to be active. However, now with NFTs as a natural mechanism to go viral and to incentivize people to actually draw in more people that believe the same things. And that's because there is a financial gain that if there is a limited supply and there's more demand for it, then your token that you hold will increase in value. So when it comes to actually building community, you don't have to start off with that much. You just need a couple of really strong evangelists who really believe your mission and be very intentional in how you communicate that because then you attract the people of how you communicate. So if you're like full of hype, then you're going to attract the people who just want to flip and make money. If you are here to express a social cause, then maybe the making money is a secondary because realistically, everyone obviously wants to at least get some return from it. But if they also believe in your mission, they really believe in what you want to achieve with the funds, then you only need like a couple of really strong evangelists who will go and spread your word. And then those people who buy into it will also keep spreading and spreading and spreading. Mm -hmm. They have a financial incentive to actually do that too. And so when you guys were starting out Wild Pixies, were there like a handful of people that you guys are like, oh, we would love to get these people on board and to convince these people to join? We started off with people that we naturally attracted. So a lot of the people in our team now, but actually naturally through our how we communicated, we attracted a lot of high caliber people. Recently, I only just discovered that the marketing director of Decentraland was a mentor of, of Wild Pixies and she's been active in our community and all these S&P 500 companies, directors were, were part of it. And I also connected with a lot of different project owners. And one of my good friends, Mai, she introduced me to people like Randy Zuckerberg, where now I'm part of their accelerator program. So we just announced that. 
That's so awesome. And I think it's really fascinating because starting up an NFT project is not the hard part. I think it's the growing that community that is the hard part. Was it just like the messaging that kind of was what really resonated and got this high caliber people in? Or are there other things that really set your project apart from what other people are are doing in the NFT space? Yeah, I think what really set us apart, and this is quoting other people who talk about wow pixies to other people a big part of it is speed of execution and doing what we say we're going to do and i think that the space still kind of doesn't have a high enough standard compared to everywhere else so the fact that you can execute fast and then that you're transparent and that you communicate and that you set expectations i think that because a lot of people have come into the space to make a lot of money and the way that the business is structured what happens is that you generate a lot of income upfront. So in four days, we made over a million dollars, which is crazy. And then as time goes on, you just take a percentage of royalties of the transactions um, in the secondary market. That amount is significantly less. So we incentivize people to hype up the project, make the most amount of money that they can in the first couple of days, and then like just basically like disappear with the money. So unless you're really actually passionate about creating this and it can become a sustainable model, most people would just like give up after three days. You're saying that actually in the NFT space, there's a lot of projects out there that don't really deliver or don't execute to this level or don't have that mission behind it. And so they just overpromise and don't deliver at all or under deliver. Mm -hmm. So then people are like, what? Like, and then the price drops and then everyone just like doesn't win. So the fact that we were promising, we started executing before we even minted out. I think the white paper that I wrote also generated more people buying and minting. And then one of the first things that we wanted to do was buy up the royalty world of women, which is 19 holders get 2% of royalties that split across these 19 people. And we thought it made a lot of sense as a way to generate liquidity month after month that's not tied to our own project. Because World of Women is such a bigger project that if we could get this World of Women by holding this in our DAO, then we would get like 10 to 20 ETH every single month, regardless of whether Pixies is doing well or not. So I think it's that type of foresight or that thinking how this model would work that didn't exist in the market of even combining an NFT and a DAO. Because typically a DAO would issue its own tokens and do stuff differently and raise money. But we combined the two because I saw that NFTs are a great fundraising mechanism of first generating the revenue, putting that money into the DAO, then using the DAO money to invest into other projects. Then it would have that kind of recurring revenue. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like you, you guys are really thinking about it from like a business perspective. Yeah. I, I think a lot of projects are like, oh, let's like buy a plot of land on like Metaverse. Let's create a game out of this. And I think what you guys are doing are, is quite special and, and quite different from what other, other projects are doing. Yeah. How did you meet the original, like the, the two people who are part of the, the founding team? They were part of the World of Women group that we met there. Okay, so it was like through um, Discord. All early minters and buyers of World of Women. And yeah. you guys would just be chatting there and then just built the relationship through that. Yeah, I knew one of them, Lawrence, and he knew the other co-founders. Yeah. Got it. And are they like based like elsewhere in the world one's or are they also? US, one's based in Canada. I'm based in Singapore. Okay. So That's really met. cool. So you've got your own diverse network that you can pull in as well, I'm sure. Yeah. So that's interesting that 
this whole Web3 space is like, doesn't matter where you are, who you are, what your gender is, what you look like. None of those things matter. I didn't even know what they look like for the first couple of months. There's just like a name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like a profile picture. <laughs> exactly. It all comes down to like what you produce. So mm-hmm. I think that aligns with my values a lot more. Yeah. I'm interrupting my very own episode to let you guys know that I have a career coaching program designed to help you go from lost and frustrated with your corporate job to living and building your dream career. Do you feel unfulfilled and unhappy at your job despite having the perfect, prestigious, high-paying role? Are you great at chasing and acing other people's dreams but have no idea what your own goals and dreams are? Do you know deep down that you need to quit your job but you're not sure what else you would even want to do? Well, if this sounds like you, I have a three-step framework built to help you solve this problem. Want it? Check out the show notes to today's episode to download the free guide to find your passion today. All right, back to the episode. What does it entail running a project? So I know community building is a big piece of it, but you know, thinking about the roadmap, executing on the roadmap, maybe share a little bit more about like what that kind of looks like. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about our projects for those who don't know what a DAO is, it's a decentralized autonomous organization. And typically an organization is basically run from the top down. You have the CEO, CEO, whoever managing and running everything. And that's normal for NFT projects as well, where they have all of the control over where this project goes. A DAO is basically you are giving the control and power back to your members through the fact that every pixie that we have represents one governance vote into what happens with the DAO money. So because 80% of it went into like a DAO fund, we then had to set up something like a multi-signatory wallet where it's not just me saying, I want to make this transaction. Let me take this money out. Like I can't do that. So we set up a multi-sig wallet using a tool called Gnosis where you had to vote in three or more people from the community. They would have to reveal themselves as who they are in person, we would do a face-to-face interview with them to sign off on a transaction before we, it can go through. And then we would put up as a vote from the community and we would use this tool called Snapshot where it can identify the number of pixies that you hold in your wallet and that would represent the number of votes that you can have. And this is a good protector of our community funds as well because it means that even if someone accidentally got hacked or like, you know, clicked on a random link, that hacker can't just come and take money out by themselves. They would need three other people to sign in order for it to happen. So that's one thing. That's like operationally what has to happen. Second is that when we want to actually invest in projects, what happens is we have a proposal channel within Discord where everyone can put in their proposals. Then we have a curator club. So this curator club is anyone who holds a specific NFT, which is a pixie with the rainbow purple hair. There's only 10 of them. They help the founding team together. We narrow down the proposals that have been submitted by everyone. And then we have a quorum within the curator group to be like, yes, let's put up the proposal. Once we put up the proposal, then everyone can use their pixie to vote. So even if I want A to happen, but there's options B and C, and B is the most popular vote, it doesn't matter that I wanted A to happen, like B is still going to be the decision. 
So it's really much more like decentralizing your um, own ownership and power back to people. That's how it realistically runs. Every single everyone person. Everyone who holds the pixie votes. It's kind of like a three-step. The first one is everyone can put a proposal. There's just a community group that narrows down from what everyone has proposed. And then we can vote. So Roadmap 1.0 was really much, we bought the Royalty Wow for 135 ETH and first month we got back 23 ETH. That's like $80,000 just from holding. Mm -hmm. So that gives us liquidity to buy up other projects. We bought basically a lot of the blue chip projects like Boss Beauties, Women Rise, Women and Weapons, Curious Addies. And what we do with these in our vault is that we become an extension of those communities. So for example, it's so creative. Like when we hold World of Women, what they do every month is that they would partner with different artists and they will basically send you a free airdrop depending on one of the skin colors that you have in your vault. So we ended up buying the Royalty Wow, but also five of the seven skin colors of World of Women. So every month we get five different airdrops. And that itself, we can distribute to our members. So they basically get kind of exposure to all of these projects without even having to own one. Because a water woman costs like eight ETH. So realistically, people aren't going to be able to afford that. But if we hold these 11 or 12 or 13 world of women, they have a gala coming up. Then we can kind of lend it out to our members to attend the gala, even though they don't own one. And we bought up 15 ETH of Curious Addies, which is an education NFT, and they gave 150 different courses for our students worth $450 each. So just through that free course, people would have already made back the pixie that they paid for. That's super cool. And so, I mean, in terms of like the day-to-day, I think like deciding what sort of projects to back and buying these things are probably some of the things that you guys are working on managing the community, I'm sure on Discord, responding to all the questions or, you know, just getting the community engaged is probably a good part of your job as well. Are there other things for that? Yeah. Okay. So less and less, you don't really need to do too much of that. So the moderators are the ones who, and, and how do you find these moderators? I guess they're just people who are part of the community and just super engaged. Exactly. And do they get any like special like pixies or any like financial benefit from moderating? Yeah, we, no, we pay them um, every two weeks out of our operations fund. It's a very small amount, but they're still paid. And then we also give them perks like, you know, whenever we run pre-sale lists for other projects, where basically now it's a privilege to even get onto buying a project early. And also you get to network and be part of the team and say that you're part of this project. And what we're trying to do now as a DAO is to set up different workstations. So one on like legal governance, DAO governance, legal think tank, marketing and partnerships. We have one on community and dev tech. And then people actually submitted themselves to become leads of those workstations. And then what we want to do is either voting that we allocate, say, one ETH a month to pay the leads of the workstations or for um, the remaining ETH that we keep in our vault that's not doing anything, right? It's not generating any revenue. Then we can um, put it into D5 pools or like farming, yield farming, and whatever revenue that we get from that, we can also use it to distribute to contributors. So that way, one, it solves it from not being a 
security and two, you're rewarding the most active contributors in your DAO. And also building a stronger community because then they're more involved in the project as well. But as a founder of a project, what are the key things that you guys need to deal with? How involved do, do, do these founders need to be? Or is it just like up and running, then it kind of just runs by itself? No, definitely not. Like you need to be so involved and it's actually quite high stress because of how fast moving it is. Typically in a startup, right, you have a quarterly kind of review with your investors. This is like every two days. People expect something to happen. Yeah. So it's a lot faster, obviously, than running a startup. You have a lot more people to account to. And we had to hire a lawyer. We incorporated and you know, set up a lot of those processes, especially in the direction that we want to hold. And a lot of the strategic partnerships was done by the team, joining the Randy Zuckerberg, creating all the Twitter spaces, associating ourselves with other well-known projects, but also for me doing a lot of external podcasts and events and trying to do partnerships with real life brands. That's all finding other ways to give value back to holders. It's a constant, never-ending to-do list. But I feel like that's something that you probably do really well, getting something from zero to one from like all of your prior experiences. So I think it's so cool that you're like on the forefront of it and learning as the industry is changing as well. Just one more thing around NFTs, like for people who are looking to just learn more about that space, whether it is from an investing perspective or starting their own NFT project perspective, what are some resources that you found super helpful? To be honest, when I first started, there were no resources. So I learned by doing and Mm -hmm. being a part of it. Our own community has a lot of resources, but I would also recommend if you're a woman, like to join things like my BFF, SheFi, We3, they're all communities that help people on board onto the Web3 space. There's also DAOs like Odyssey DAO that has produces a lot of content around what is an NFT, what is a DAO, how to get started. I would recommend that. And what I mentioned before, Curious Addies, they created three courses with NAS Academy. So there's like NFTs in seven days, intro to crypto, intro to Web3 development. So those are also really good resources to start. And I think you yourself is a great resource too. I know you produce a lot of content yourself as well, and especially on on NFTs and this Web3 space. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Yeah, they can find um, me on Twitter, which is NFT Lily is my handle. And WowPixies NFT is our WowPixies handle. I'm on Instagram and on LinkedIn as well. And I'll add all of those to the show notes so you guys can can get access to it. I know we've spoken for a really long time. So I just wanted to wrap up with the question, which is a lot of times, you know, in the Western world, people are like, hey, follow your passion and eventually the money will come. And in contrast, in Asia, a lot of it is like just focus on getting financial security and, you know, getting paid and then, you know, pursue your passion as a hobby. And I know you have, you know, one foot in kind of each of these worlds. So we'd love to hear your take on this question around passion versus financial security. Yeah, I think they're not mutually exclusive. For me, like even with, I'm so interested in business and part of it is that I always make money, get traction before I actually delve straight in. I'm never like a, let's do a passion for free for 12 months and let's see if I can make money. Like, no, I'm seeing if, is this a problem that people want me to solve? And is this something I'm interested in as well? And I'm passionate about in as well. And are they willing to pay me for this? And if they are, then that's the business that makes sense 
for me. That's just how I have always kind of delved into these things, which is, do I have traction in the things that I am passionate about? And also, yeah, I work full-time as well. And I don't see why people can't do a side hustle if they're not secure about leaving their job straight away. There are just so many different ways that you can pursue these things. There are no set rules. If you have something that you are working actively towards whilst you have a job, like why not as well? And I think what I've learned from you today is that a lot of the businesses you start was really coming from you trying to solve your own problem. Like you yeah. wanted to, you know, buy this pair of sneakers. You wanted to go intern in China and you just being interested in the NFT space. A lot of this really came from just your desire and your need. And then you were like, okay, let's test out and see if there's any demand for this. And then you kind of grew from there. So I think that that's such an interesting perspective to start from for people who are thinking about, hey, I'm quite interested in starting something else. I'm quite interested in leaving behind a corporate job or, you know, starting a side hustle. What would your one piece of advice be for them? I would just say there's never a good time to start. So you might as well start if you have already been thinking about it for a long time. And also my motto in life is that I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize all of these things that I regretted not doing. If the longer you wait, the longer you think about it, then you're just going to be filled with all this regret that you didn't take that plunge and, and do it. There's obviously no point in starting something if you have no idea what you want, but that could be a, a phase to start experimenting and, and seeing what you do like and what you do feel strongly about. But other than that, you should have more of a bias to action rather than overthinking things. Yeah. Take action rather than just trying to like plan out all the possibilities in your head. <laughs> yeah. It's and always an opportunity cost. So either way, just do the thing that you, you actually yeah. want to do. In this journey that you've had so far in your career, have you had mentors along the way? And if so, how did you go about finding those mentors? I didn't have any mentors in a traditional sense per se. Like we meet up every two weeks and we talk about life and they give me all this advice. I have a lot of people who have helped me and, and I've built a really strong relationship with and we mutually kind of bounce ideas off each other. Some things that I would get advice from them, they would get advice from me in other areas. Those people have opened a lot of doors for me. And that comes from like a mutual trust, respect, rather than just mentor. I think the word mentor, mentee comes with the assumption that one person is giving and the other person is taking, but you are both mentors to each other, regardless of what your age is and your experience is. They're also kind of getting something from you and learning something from you. For example, I would consider someone like my mentor would be one of the founders of a project that I am invested in. And I just really love like what they were doing. I have helped her by promoting her projects and, and stuff and like giving them strap credit and like all these other things. And she has helped me a lot as well in opening doors, introducing me to people. Same with one of who I would consider maybe a mentor would be someone I had met Earlier when I was doing Austin, she helped me get incorporated. And then afterwards, we built a relationship and we would catch up and I would introduce her to people. She actually helped me find the Stripe job. So we just kind of always have maintained that relationship. That's amazing. And I promise this is the last question because I just suddenly thought of this. But did you ever deal with imposter syndrome? Given that you started businesses like pretty early and pretty young as well. 
How did you kind of overcome that? I have definitely faced a lot of imposter syndrome. I always underplay what I do as well. And even throughout doing Austin, it doesn't matter how much you're making. I always treat it like this is a project. And that's why it was only four people because I never grew into a team because I didn't think that it deserved to become a company where people would want to work full-time forever. That is itself its type of imposter syndrome. And I think even when I was looking for a job, I was like, does anyone even want to hire my experience since I am a jack of all trades, but what do I actually specialize in? And so I always felt like, well, I guess if a startup paid me this, I have no idea like what and how people should even get paid. Even now my Stripe job, they asked me for my expectation. I probably gave them like 80K less than what they actually offered me. So I'm lucky that this company values me for who I am. And it really showed me, oh, wow, this is how much they value. And then also with my close group of friends, we always tell each other how much we make. Even when I was making peanuts, it didn't matter. The more transparent you are, the more comfortable people are. And we always talk about our finances. And collectively as a group over the two years, we have literally all quadrupled our pay. So I think that's actually really important being able to have a support group where you can be like, oh shit, you can get paid this much. Like I need to know (laughs) how to negotiate my pay next time. (laughs) That's amazing. I think again, that ties back into like the power of like having a strong group of females uh, to support each other, which is what uh, Wild Pixies is also doing as well. Cool. So we've spoken a lot today. So thank you, Lily. It's been so nice to hear all of this from you from the very beginning. And yeah, thanks for being so open and transparent with sharing so much with us today. Thank you for having me. And there you have it. The second part of my conversation with Lily. Here's a couple key takeaways that I got from this conversation. One, when it comes to building a community and a successful project within the NFT space, Have a strong mission. Find evangelists who support your mission and get ready to do the hard work and execute, execute, execute. For Wild Pixies, their strong mission around empowering female artists and their speed at execution was what attracted the likes of Mark Zuckerberg's sister, Randy. Two, when it comes to weighing financial security versus following your passion when it comes to your career, Lily believes that it is important to find a balance. Don't blindly follow your passion. Only delve into it when you see traction in the things that you are passionate about. Three, treat mentorship as a two-way street and a mutually beneficial relationship. Mentors also could be people who are younger than you or a peer. Don't rule them out because of age. There also doesn't need to just be one mentor. Build a group of mentors around you for different aspects and different problems in your life. And lastly, There's never a good time to start. The best time to start was yesterday. And the next best time is now. Have a bias to action rather than overthinking things. All right, and that's it for season three of Control Alt Career. Thanks so much for tuning in to another season and for all of your support along the way. And if you liked this episode, do share it with two friends who maybe aren't so happy with their corporate job and need a little extra inspiration. That's how we grow the podcast here. And if you're interested in getting some career coaching, feel free to reach out to me or follow me on Instagram at ongjennifer underscore for more career inspiration. 
Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Can't wait to see you guys again in season four. Bye.